So uh, I have I have these moments that uh, I call them Peter moments where I bite off more than I can chew. <laughs> and uh, last week I didn't say this out loud because I try not to announce things just in case I fail. I don't have to admit them. Um, but when I challenged you to sit down and read the entire book of Revelation, uh, just as your pastor, I was like, I'm doing it seven days straight. So I can come here on Sunday and say, hey, I read it seven days straight. What's your excuse? And I didn't. In fact, I only did it one day. <laughs> and then God laughed at me and humbled me the rest of the week. Um, but I did read it. And, I, and if you didn't, I do challenge you to, to do that. I timed it. And, uh, and then I was like, I don't know if I should have timed it or even if I should share that. Because if, you're, if you take longer to read it, you might... Well, or sure, I don't know. Anyway, but just so you know, I did it in less than an hour, and I, and I don't feel like I went super crazy fast or anything, uh, so it, you can do it, okay? So if you didn't do it this week, I, I challenge you uh, to do it. If you did do it this past week, do it again, all right? It's, it's a good read. It's encouraging. It keeps, it keeps that big picture out in front of you uh, of all of it, and, and uh, you can do it. And I got up early in the morning to do it. I, I didn't wait till I was sitting at my desk. And uh, some of you are like, you sit at your desk? Um, but uh, I did it early, early in the morning. The Lord like, hey, this is when you need to do it. Got it in. And uh, it, was, it was encouraging. So if you haven't done it, man, being in the Word of God is awesome. And it's a, it's a good thing to, to kind of push yourself sometimes. So with all that being said, God, thank you uh, for this morning, Lord, as we... Uh, begin to just open up this book, this revelation uh, that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, I, I know there's a lot in here, uh, Father, that um, we can journey down different roads and ways we see it and uh, interpret different things. But God, help us to stay uh, on the road that you want us to. God, help us to take away kind of those those nuggets of wisdom and truth, God, that you want us to live by. Father, as we, as we read through here, as we try to understand, and at the end of the day, Lord, I, I hope the main thing stays the main thing for us. God, thank you uh, for Jesus. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in each of us, Lord, and, and how that power um, uh, unfolds all this that we're about to read and this journey we're about to go on and through, through this book. So, uh, God, help us to surrender and yield to the Spirit uh, not just on Sundays, uh, God, but every day. Uh, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to throw out this question this morning as, as, we, as we get into it. And the question is, how do you see Jesus? And you might be like, what? Like, I, I mean, I just see Jesus. Like, I, But how you answer that really kind of shapes a lot of things for you. You know, and, and I've shared this, I think the world is very guilty, and the culture is very guilty of creating different versions of Jesus that kind of adapt to different lifestyles, right? So I can justify my sin or the way I want to live. I'll just twist some things about Jesus and instead of taking the biblical view of Jesus and who he is. Uh, and so how we see Jesus is very, very, very important. And I love that the book of Revelation really uh, starts with that and because and, it ultimately is going to decide how everything ends for us too. <laughs> like, to be honest, how we live and how things are going to end. And the world is out there just searching for meaning and purpose. Man, people dump a lot of money into searching for meaning and purpose. I was just uh, got to, uh, 
watched some sciencey stuff and uh, just somebody was talking about searching for life on other planets and aliens and they, they pour their life into this stuff and and uh, and they're just trying to find something you know to grab onto and and there's a million other avenues people take with things um, but I just saw that one this week and was thinking about it but um, and it, and it leads it leads to a secondary question and I ask this one a lot when I'm uh, sitting with the guys I disciple or in a, some accountability time but like how are you doing spiritually and I, I kind of want us to ask ourselves that this morning. How are you doing spiritually? Because I don't know about you, but I've experienced times where, man, I feel like I was just on track, man. With the Lord, man, there were things going on around me. I just God was, was moving and working, and I know He moves and works all the time, but I was in tune with it. And then there's been times where I'm like, feel so distant from God. I feel like I'm in a desert. You know, so how are you doing spiritually right now, today? You know, are, are you in that relationship with God? Are you seeking Him? Are you meditating on His Word? Are you in prayer for things? Are you, are you seeing the self die and the Spirit rise up in your life? Are you in tune with God? Are you seeing God things happen around you? Are you seeing kingdom work taking place in your sphere of influence that's around you? Or are you drifting right now? You're struggling. You're tired. You're down. You're beat down. You're, you're like, where are you spiritually? Do you fear the Lord? You know, we, we talked about this. I actually have it in another place on down the page, but I'm going to go ahead and jump on it because I, I talked about last week. I'm not going to use uh, scare tactics about revelation, but make no mistake, that does not take away the, the fear that we need to have of the Lord. I was watching this interview, and I'm going to butcher this because I didn't retain it real well, but there was a minister a long time ago who did some horrible things, and he was actually arrested um, for whatever sins he had committed, and he was being interviewed. And in the interview, uh, they asked him, when did you stop loving Jesus? And he said, I never did. And the guy's like, "Uh, yeah, you did. (laughs) Look at what you did. And he replied back, I never stopped loving Jesus, but I stopped fearing the Lord. That's a big deal. You know, the Bible says all wisdom begins at that moment with fear of the Lord. We don't ever need to forget who he is. I have two little boys, you know, and uh, when I'm in the room, sometimes they act and speak to each other very different than when when I'm not in the room, right? (laughs) They lose their fear of me sometimes when dad's not just standing there. And they act out, right? And then sometimes I'm there, and their behavior shifts and <laughs> straightens up a little bit, you know? Um, and I know that's just a worldly example, but, man, the fear of the Lord, it's important. We don't need to forget who God is. He's righteous and holy and just. And we've talked a lot about that the last year. It's another sermon, but I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that because... I said, hey, we're not, I'm not going to use scare tactics about Revelation. There's still this intensity side that's there, but it's a healthy fear of the Lord. And honestly, I, can, I think it comes out of spiritual maturity. Us walking with the Lord, we begin to understand uh, more and more uh, of those things. And just like uh, Richard's um, communion meditation, being a slave to righteousness. Man, you may hear that, and right now it's just not resonating. It's like, what? I'm free. You know, but as you walk with the Lord, you're going to be in, begin to understand more of these things. And the Spirit's going to teach you and lead you, and, and, and you're going to be able to, to, to walk this out 
understanding that and understanding that that is a great thing, you know, as he was sharing. And so just want to keep that on the table. So today we're going to get a glimpse of a very fresh and real relationship uh, that John has with the real living Jesus. And that's the kind of person that that uh, is going to experience more of what I call God moments. They're going to experience God. Um, and again, I, we don't seek the experiences, all right? It's not the miracle, right, that we're seeking. We're seeking God. But in doing so, in walking in spirit, I assure you, you're going to experience more things of God. You're going to see things and things are going to happen around you because God is moving and working because you're walking in obedience in the spirit. That's just going to happen, okay? And that's what we see uh, right here, and it's, it's just awesome. And so the book is penned by this incredible guy, John. And we, you know, if you've been in church a very long time, we know John. We, we get a lot of his story. It's pretty awesome. So we're just going to jump into verse 4. And what I'm going to do is we're going to read through the first chapter today. And I'm just going to stop and interject some, some thoughts and then kind of do the so what at the end uh, thing. So uh, verse 4 there, we read the first three verses last week. And so uh, let's get into this. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And Asia isn't, don't think, whoa, you know, that big, large continent. This is a small area. Uh, the Turkey area is where it's at present day is where we're talking about. It says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirit, you're going to see the number seven a lot through this whole study, okay? The perfect number, sometimes it's very literal, um, like he's talking about seven churches, and there literally are seven churches he's writing these letters to, and then there's figurative sevens in it. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit as we go. But that number's going to come up a lot. In, in the Bible, it means perfection, completion kind of thing. So uh, just keep that in mind. Who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. I don't even think I have the voice or the power to read that the way it needs to be read. <laughs> um, man, just some intense stuff going on right here. It says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Um, man, verse 5 and 6 right there, man, God, you know, God loved us so much, John 3.16, right? He sent his one and only son. And then Jesus loved us so much. Um, man, he bled and died to save us, right? Um, to free us from ourselves uh, so we can become slaves to righteousness. I love that. That was good. And John's excited. And at the end of it, he's like, amen, um, you know, which means so be it or, or uh, in agreement. I, I don't remember when this happened, but I think it was in Congress, and some of you guys are going to know, and you can correct me. It's fine. Um, but somebody tried to change amen to a woman just because of the, the cultural thing that's happening. And I'm like, that's not even what that means. Like, what in the world? Like, ugh. Anyway, it's amen. And John was excited. He's like, amen, you know. Um, and he was like, bring it. So be it. And, and then in, in verse 7, you know, this, this should be our attitude. Jesus is coming back. And for those that are in Christ, man, there's going to be rejoicing. And for those who are not, there's going to be mourning or in other places in the Bible, it says weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Even so, John's like, amen. Amen. He's coming back. And I think sometimes we forget, and and I'm glad we just went through the whole Bible because we painted this picture and understanding of who God is, man, just the awesomeness of God. And it's something that you always need to keep out in front of you. And And it comes back to that fear of the Lord thing that we never forget who he is. You know, ever, <laughs> that he is God Almighty. And, I, and my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we get a glimpse as we read through Revelation of his glory and his power, and, and it just adds to who we understand God to be. So how we see God, how we see Jesus is end up, I, I believe it's going to end up in how we really understand this book. You know, when we understand God, Jesus, in, in the right uh, perspective and, and keep them where they need to be, uh, it's going to give us better understanding of the book. So verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So here's John uh, just humbling himself and saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm one of you. I get it. Right, I, I know there's people that think America is going through tribulation. I don't. Uh, you may think so. Uh, I don't even think Christians are being persecuted yet. Uh, I know we get picked on sometimes, and sometimes it it gets a Christian vibe to it. You know, like out to get us or or whatever. Um, but on a large scale, we're not being ripped from our families. We're not being thrown out of our families for our faith. We're not being put in prison yet. Um, so the persecution, tribulation, I, I don't think has really hit America very hard, uh, even though we do feel it sometimes. I know that. You know, I know we feel it sometimes uh, for, for being faithful. Um, but, but, man, John and the church right now has been undergoing some pretty intense uh, persecution. This is, uh, this is the time the book was penned uh, pretty close to the time Nero uh, was coming to the end of his reign and, and uh, Domitian was taking over, and Nero was bad, and, and, the, and the next guy got worse. And Nero's blamed. Uh, he's the one that's blamed for, uh, he accused the Christians of, um, of burning down the, the city. And so he took cloth and he wrapped up Christians and he put oil on them and impaled them with spears and set them on fire and lit the streets with them. That's persecution. And it was terrible. And, and then, then, again, Domitian takes over next, and it gets worse. And he was anybody that's an enemy of the state, man, he was, he was after them. And that's kind of where John found himself. And so he gets exiled to this island of, of Patmos. And it's this really small island. It's about seven miles from, from north to south. And uh, not, not, you know, it's not a vacation home. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a rough place uh, to live over there by Turkey and Greece. And so uh, John's an old man. I really want you to get this picture because sometimes we read this stuff and I don't, I don't think we put it in the, in the proper perspective. Man, he's old, dude. Like really old. Older than me. Old. All right. So old, right? <laughs> he's older than Richard Mon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Richard's like, I'm going to get you. And you know, <laughs> John has been faithful, man. Man, we get so much of John's story. I, I, I love that he got to write this uh, because we get to so much of the story. We, we met him first, right, when he was called by Jesus. 
And man, did he have some zeal. Him and his brother James Wright, what did Jesus call them? The sons of thunder, right? They were always ready to fight and throw down and take care of anybody who was going to get in the way of Jesus. In fact, Jesus was preaching in, in a town in Samaria, and they rejected him. And John's like, oh, let's call down fire from heaven, you know, those stinking Samaritans. I mean, like, that was just his attitude. He's like, well, burn them all, you know, because they rejected Jesus. And that was kind of the fire, I mean, he had in him. And, uh, and man, you know, and he referenced himself as the, the disciple that, that Jesus loved. And, and, but there was just this intensity to him. And the cool thing is, as we see his story unfold, we see this transformation in his life. Like many of us, he was on this journey. And as he got to know Jesus more and more, the, the fire settled down, right? The reactionary stuff settled down. He began to mature and he began to grow into what eventually becomes a, a pretty incredible church leader, an apostle, you know. Um, and, uh, and he ended up being in this little inner circle with uh, his brother James and Peter. And that Jesus man, he really, really poured into these guys, invested in these guys. They got privy to some pretty special moments that some of the others didn't, including the transfiguration. Man, they got to see Jesus like, oh, like what a cool moment. They got to be there on that mountain when it all went down. And, uh, and got to be there. And so, you know, we have the, the Last Supper. John is, is leaned up against Jesus, man. He's right next to him. I mean, they're close. And Jesus is talking about his betrayer. And, you know, Peter's kicking him like, hey, find out who it is. <laughs> you know? That's not biblical. I'm just making that up. But that's probably what happened. And, you know, Jesus tells them, and, it's, you know, it's Judas, it ends up being Judas. And they still don't they still don't understand, but man, uh, another another thing to our knowledge and, and to my knowledge uh, with the biblical story that we have, John was the only one that was there when Jesus got arrested, that went with him through the trials, and he was at the foot of the cross. And right before Jesus breathed his last, he looks down at him and is like, hey, take care of my mother. I mean, this guy was, ooh, you know, that's who John is. And then three days later, he gets news of the resurrection, and he smokes Peter, man. Let's, let's race. They take off running, you know, and he beats him to the tomb. And, he, and again, I know we talked about that. He, he made sure we all knew who won the foot race, you know. Um, and so here he is, and he was a leader in the church, and, and twice he's arrested in Acts for his public preaching. He was beaten for his faith. His brother James was the first apostle martyred, killed by Herod. You know, it wasn't easy. And all this happened before he penned Revelation. And so this is 50, maybe even 60 years after his brother's death that he's writing this. And uh, during this time, Christianity's growing and it's moving. We talked about that. The church underwent persecution and it had spread out over the entire Roman Empire. It was now in three different continents. And so it's, it's happening, you know. Uh, it, the church is unfolding and so here we are, old man on an island. Now, the Bible doesn't go into description, but come on, he's imprisoned. He's left alone. I mean, they're not like a butler bringing him food every day. He's dirty. I'm sure his clothes were torn and tattered and nasty, long beard, and, and he's old. And he's on this island alone, and... and He's probably hungry. Um, physically, he's in this terrible place. 
but he is in an incredible place spiritually. I don't want you to miss this. That's why I just went to great lengths to like really paint this picture of where we're at in the story. Because any one of us in that situation, if, you, if we just like, boom. I mean, does he have the right to complain and belly? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a crazy. I mean, and he would not deny Christ and he gets exiled for it. And he writes this, this revelation. Verse 10, I was in the spirit. There's the difference. There it is. You want to know what's wrong? Right there. If things aren't right, right there. Are you in the spirit? How's your spiritual life going? Really? Not your church attendance on Sunday. I, I know that can be a reflection and, and we need to gather. That's what the Bible says. Gather together. Encourage one another. Carry each other's burdens. The church, it's important. And, it, and being here, I think, is a part of our spiritual process and journey and all of those things. But, like, there's stuff that we do on our own. Or with a couple other people. How's your spiritual life? Because I'm telling you, watch what unfolds. Because I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. And no one's going to keep him from worshiping God. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. His condition was right. He's not pouting, complaining, or angry with God. He's doing what we're all called to do. All of us. Share in the suffering of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Share in the suffering with Christ. Joyfully, even. Not just, okay. Not this burden, but there's going to be a joy. Why? Because we are in spirit. Because we're in spirit. And the Holy Spirit, whew, which is what we all need and what we all have. And I hope, I hope you're part of your prayers, just that God would fill you every day with the Spirit, that, that what's happening is the overflow and that you're staying in step with the Spirit, that you walk in Spirit. And brothers and sisters, I hope you know, as I was, that we live well and that we die well when it's our time. I hope that's what can be said of us, that, that we were this example like John, like Jesus, like, man, that we do this. And we can have this every day. We can be filled and controlled by the Spirit. Slaves to righteousness. I've come back to that. It's so good. That's what we're called to be. I'm supposed to surrender what I want in my flesh, in my, all of it, and yield to Him. Voice like a trumpet. Verse 11, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and to Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. We're going to get into those churches um, as we dig into this. Uh, and I had a picture, and I didn't give it to Lyndon, so that's my fault. But the churches are pretty close together there in Asia Minor, and uh, they're about uh, like a, it takes, I don't know, uh, I was kind of looking at it, and they're not all the same distance from one another. But you, like if you were traveling from church to church, you could typically make it in a day, you know. Um, but it was, it was a pretty good walk. Uh, between them, but they're kind of a day's journey apart, if you will, for the most part. And, uh, and of course, John, I just believe tradition, John uh, either started or was at least the leader at Ephesus, uh, the church at Ephesus, and Ephesus had a profound impact on the rest of them. And so, uh, continuing in verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. 
And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand was one like a son of man. We've heard that phrase a lot. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waterfalls. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. He's describing him in this priestly attire. And, and again, it's just like so, it's so beautiful and just awesome, and, and he's trying to put it into words, and there's obviously some symbolism uh, right here. Even the, the two-edged sword from Jesus' mouth, man, you know, the Bible talks about the Word of God, Right? And Jesus speaks truth. He was never afraid to speak the truth. And the truth cuts, it says, through bone and, and, and marrow and everything, right? That's right. And Jesus spoke it. I, one of my favorite moments is when the, the, the soldiers came up and they're looking for Jesus. And, you know, he's like, who are you looking for? And they're like, Jesus and I was like, I am he. And they, <laughs> I still love that. Man. He spoke with power. He spoke with authority. He taught like no one else taught. And people paid attention. And some people praised him for it. Some people worshipped him for it. And some people tried to kill him for it. The Son of Man. That was Jesus's. as you read, that was Jesus' favorite way to address himself or at least referenced in, in Scripture that we have. And, and uh, most of the time, you know, it just means a human man, son of Adam, but there's, when it comes to Jesus, there's a little bit more to it than that. Daniel, uh, back in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Whew. That's our Jesus. And he's not giving a literal appearance here, but he's describing this magnificent, glorified, transfigured Jesus that he sees before him. And his voice, you know, he's trying to describe the, the loudness there. And I don't know if you've ever been to the base of a, a really large waterfall. Even small ones uh, are loud. Uh, Shay and I did the, I don't even know what it's called, something of the mist in Niagara Falls, um, Queen of the Mist or something, I don't know. But you got on this boat, and they take you near, and you're like literally having to yell at each other to like be able to hear. Like, I mean, like, and you still have a hard time hearing because the waterfall is so loud. And John's trying to like describe what his voice sounds like in this loud roar, and he's overcome by awe, and he almost passes out. And I think we're going to respond in a similar way. I do. When we see Jesus for the first time face to face. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But what did Jesus do? He lays his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And Jesus is like, hey, I came as a wee little baby and a lot of humility last time, but not this time. I'm in charge. I hold all the keys. I hold all the cards. Do not fear. Do not fear. 
And in verse 19, it says, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And so he carefully writes this stuff down, and, and it's important to communicate this stuff to the seven churches and to all of us. And, uh, and then he gives us some help with some of the symbolism. And so in verse 20, it says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And I want, again, I just want to be careful right here. You know, are we to take that and mean that there's a guardian angel out there with a yielding, wielding a fire sword? And I hope, that'd be awesome. I hope that I hope that's going on. That's great. Does every church have a guardian angel? I don't know. Literally, the translation means messenger. Literally. So I just want to be careful about like taking it somewhere else. Um, and uh, again, I I hope there's two angels out there, man. That'd be great. <laughs> like, and they're protecting us while we worship. It's wonderful. Um, but I just want us to be careful as we read some of this stuff. Um, it, the literal translation is messenger there. And, and it says, and then the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay. And so lampstands, you know, I don't know, I, I, like we camp some in, when Shay lets us in our family. And uh, I'm just speaking on her. Uh, but if you've ever been camping to like a state campground or national campground, usually you have your camp spot and there's this shepherd's hook pole that comes out of the ground. It's a steel pole, and it, and it curves like a shepherd's hook, and then it curves back up, and it is there to hold a lantern. And uh, I don't know if you've ever turned on a lantern, the old kind or the new kind with batteries or whatever, solar powered. They have all kinds of fancy stuff now. And if you set it on the ground, you get about four to six feet of a circle, if you're lucky, right? And so you can kind of see the gravel, but if one of those little shepherd hook stands is there and you put it up there, Man, the whole area is lit up, right? So that's what's going on here. We're supposed to be this lampstand, okay? And in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And why? To give glory to your Father, who is in heaven. So that's what the churches represent. We're supposed to be this light shining into the darkness. It's our job. Okay? It's our job. And here Jesus, glorified Jesus, uh, is twice telling John this, awestruck John, uh, and that he and he's saying, You can faithfully and clearly deliver this message to the seven churches and to all of us, of course, who benefit from it. So what a scene we're seeing, this this magnificent scene that's unfolding uh, before John. And in the midst like, this is the image I really want you to keep in your head as you read. So here's the glorified Jesus standing there, right? And again, how John just described all this. And he's standing amongst the churches, and he's holding their messengers in his hand. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Because our Jesus is in control. He's done it all. And, and that's the image I kind of want you to keep in your head as we keep going through this. So we're going to just, we got through chapter one. Um, so, so what? So a takeaway, one, Jesus is worthy of your worship. So worship. We need to worship him, okay? Don't ever let that side of your Christianity go away. Worship God. Worship. He's worthy, man. He is worthy. And I think we are called to worship. And I hope, I hope all of this makes us 
reflect on that and fall down and worship regardless of our circumstances, right? Again, just reflecting back on where John was at this moment when all this is going on. And I pray we stay humble and we walk with God, man, every day in spirit, every day, because God is better than anything that's trying to steal your worship or that you're freely giving it to. He's better than all of that. Second, don't fear. Don't fear, church. I know it's so easy to read some of these big things that are so just, yeah, I mean, they're even hard to like, like process through that are going to take place. But we have Jesus. We have him. And as John's laying there and Jesus reaches down his right hand, that's the very message he communicates. Do not fear. I'm in charge. I got this. And I loved you so much, I allowed them to crucify me for this moment. So don't fear, church. Do not fear this stuff. If there's parts in here that you just can't understand and wrap your head, don't fear. Don't fear. Just going to read that again. 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, and remember this is in a loud voice. I know I can't pull that off. And behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And back in verse five, and from, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his, love, by his blood. The one who loves us is coming back for us and there's nothing to fear. It doesn't mean that the fears won't creep in there and try, but you need to remember Scripture. You need to meditate on the words of God and remind yourself that there's nothing to fear, that the Lamb has it all. He holds the keys. He holds the keys. And He's coming back for us, and we're going to rejoice, and it'll all be worth it. But for those who don't have Jesus, it's not going to be a good day. Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and, I, and, and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will well on the account of him. Even so, amen. That's why we have to do our job. We want that number right there, the people who are wailing and mourning and gnashing of teeth, to be as small as it can possibly be. I hope this stirs emotion in you, because it should. Because Jesus is worthy of your worship, and we have a job to do. Because there's people that are going to die and reject Jesus. And, and we might not be able to change their mind, but we can sure try. We can sure try by being who we're supposed to be, which brings me to the last thing. Shine the light, brothers and sisters. Shine the light. It's our job. We've all been given this, and we got to share it. We're just beggars showing another beggar where the bread is, right? But then at the same time, because we have Jesus, God like elevates us to this priestly place. Or he's like, you're this priesthood of believers. You're my children. Do the work your Father's given you. We have to do the work. We have to let go of our flesh. We have to die. We have to surrender. And we have to learn to walk in spirit like John does in this moment. And God gives us incredible revelations through him that he pins and sends awesome moment. Let that, so let's let this light shine to all those around us, whatever, whatever that looks like. 
I know as a church we need to do that in our community, and I hope, I hope we are. I hope we are having an impact. I pray for that all the time. I hope we can have more of an impact. I, I hope that God continues to open doors for us to love and minister to our community around us. But this is also on an individual level. As I go out, am I taking this light with me? Am I living with intentionality uh, for the people around me? Because the trumpet's going to blast one day. And there's only two sides. And I'm so thankful that we're on the right one. Woo! Praise the Lord. But I want everybody else to be as well. As far as it depends on me. As far as it depends on you. Let's let our light shine. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning, Lord. Thank you for the book of Revelation, uh, Father. And I pray as we, as we continue to read it, to take it in, God, I pray that we... Uh, again, I, I, we're so guilty sometimes of... of reading into and adding things, and, and, and I like to say make up rules sometimes where there aren't rules. And God, help us to just keep Scripture, Scripture to the best of our ability, to take away what you want us to, to grow where you need us to. We're all in different places. God, we all have a next step with you. We all got some area of our life that we need to give up and surrender, Lord. But I pray as we live day in and day out, as you give us breath of life, Lord, I pray that we learn to daily surrender, to daily live for you, to seek your kingdom first, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to keep our first love, our first love, so that we are making a, an impact, God, and so that we're not just sitting in a pew on Sunday, amen and stuff, that we're not out there living. Help change us, Lord. Give us the strength to surrender when we don't have it. Help us with our unbelief. Help us to love even when it's difficult. Humble us, Lord, so that as we live and as things happen, we give you all the glory, all the credit. Mm. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask all these things. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a closing song. Let's do it. <laughs>